0: It is episode 976 of The Relevant Podcast. I am your host today. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm coming to you from, yes, Paris, France, bonjour from across the pond. We'll probably, Maybe we'll get into that, some of that in the banter. I don't know. We have a lot to to banter about this morning, actually, so we'll see what we have time for. And joining me here on this episode from Loverland, Virginia, is Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And then all the way from, I think, still in Houston, Texas for now. All right, temporarily in Houston, Texas for a few more hours is our very own associate editor, downtown Emily Brown. Hey, Emily. Hey, y'all. And we are going to be it today. We are... I kind of want to uh, tell people the situation. You're talking very calmly for yeah.
1: all things considered. Manifesting, right
0: now. manifesting. That's, I don't that's... know
1: what we're permitted to say, <laughs> but let me just say: usually this show is a four person cast. That's true. And uh, I think we all realize who's missing here. And I don't want to, for privacy concerns, I won't say too much. <laughs> but we fear that one of our cast members, who I who I think it's obvious who it is. Is actually lost at sea right now. Technically, I, way, not joking. Technically, like, could legitimately be at sea. Is,
0: is that, I don't want We don't need to say who. We'll call him. I don't know what should we call him for the for the purposes of this podcast. We don't want to make it too obvious. Cameron Crang. too, Crang. <laughs> too, too Crang. obvious. Too obvious. <laughs> it's, Cameron was was last week. Cameron told the staff that he and Cohen had procured a cruise. That they would be on, and Cameron assured us that he would be continuing to check in throughout the week. Due to I've never been on a cruise, but uh, but uh, naval technology allows you yeah, to it's... check in via Wi-Fi on a cruise, except for this one apparently. Because and this is true, we really haven't heard from him since he left. So we are assuming it's a Wi-Fi situation. I, what I told I... what I told Gabs is is that. I feel like if the ship had gone down we would it'd be in the news so I'm not uh, well, worried for his safety yeah unless I mean, it's like, like
2: the, a top-secret thing then yeah, I guess that's we really true. Don't know yeah like
1: a Bermuda well, triangle
0: and, situation An op- and yeah. yeah.
1: I mean he could be it could be a lost situation he could be in some weird interdimensional portal, portal or something uh, but you know I I have been keeping an ear out for correspondence as listeners know I, I work right here at the lovely Virginia Beach oceanfront <laughs> I've been scouring the beach all day for message bottles found Four none of them were from Cameron so I'm starting to get concerned too now at this point
0: <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you do the thing where you just go where you just stand sit out there with the binoculars maybe a bag of like saltines or something like that to <laughs> occupy your time and you just wait to see something on the horizon like Robinson Crusoe well, you style. know what's
1: you know what's uh, the irony is and you probably go online and find this but right the block where I work on there's a large statue of a woman sta- doing exactly that Tyler staring <laughs> off in, in, onto the horizon And it's, and she's memorializing, and I shouldn't laugh, like some shipping tragedy that happened in the 1800s. And, (laughs) but but I see that statue. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I see that statue all the time. And when I saw it this morning, when I walked by it this morning, I thought, He's out there somewhere <laughs> right now. <laughs> he's out there, and we're gonna be we're gonna be potting without him. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I think we're we're trying to shield our concern. You know, for all we know, he's parasailing right now, or you know, he like you said, he's entered some sort of uh, time loop. Yeah, Most in the Bermuda.
0: Of yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It, I, I think both scenarios are equally likely, are, are equally at possible at this point. You know I, I think
0: know. Like he's, he's probably well.
1: just
2: vacationing really hard and yeah. like. Is using the Wi Fi as an excuse, like you know, when you want to hang mm. up with someone on the phone and you pretend to like talk every other word oh, so that way can't it's quite like, here. Oh, it. er, yeah, ma- uh-huh. That's what's happening. Is he mm. just is saying the Wi Fi is out, so he doesn't have to talk to us. That's a what I'm
0: I would do it. If I, you know, <laughs> as soon as I found like one hiccup, like one Wi-Fi bar was a little too low, I'd be like, oh, guess I can't work. Sorry guys. <laughs> Situation's right, beyond my control. I
1: would say I would be like, it's like the plane thing this time. I don't know why, but we gotta shut the devices down. And it <laughs> just
0: it's cruise rules, you know? Cruise rules. <laughs> well we we and and I do I I don't know if we don't need to get into all of this and we and very uh, very likely a lot of this could be cut out. But uh, but I will be on Paris time for the for the next for the foreseeable future. For the next few months, I'll be running the Paris office over here in France. From, my, from what I can see right now, it looks pretty good. Uh, everything outside the window, every, all well on this front. All goes well in France right now. I should
1: put a preface to me and Emily, if we come across a little unsettled, not only have we (laughs) likely lost Cameron to a nautical disaster, (laughs) which we all knew is how he'd one day go. uh, I think he knew it, too. too yeah it's you know he's he's you know he's married the sea at this point, but you know we he, <laughs> Emily and I are also unsettled because when we signed on to zoom this morning to see our our good friend college Tyler <laughs> Huckabee he had to be uh, appeared to be barely shirted True. and what I mean by that is he has a flowing lovely dress shirt on that you know for some reason he chose not to button um that that it parisian was unprofessional that, that Parisian summer, you know, they, they call it the Paris air conditioning, which is just unbutton the shirt as
0: low as it can possibly go. I've um, been here one week and I've already and I've already just mm-hmm. like gone full Lothario with regard I, to my dress. And I'm can like, I you can't can see, I, but I'm wearing like very flowy, like linen pants right yeah. now. And the baguettes are gone. <laughs> I had a bunch of them this morning. They lasted about two hours. Tyler looks like if
1: the dude had relocated to cafe culture of, of, of Paris of the 1960s, like just, <laughs> just floating on by. Now, Tyler, you know, I take it from your look, undershirts just aren't a thing there, like no. a hard pass in, in no, France.
0: No, it's a very, it's, it's, I would say the culture over here, and Emily, you were here pretty recently, so I, I can let you weigh in on this a little bit too. But it is very, uh, there's a lot of freedom. And, and like, I don't mean mm. that, like, you can dress however you want. I mean, I suppose Liberty. you can. It's a big, it's a big city. Yeah. But you just kind of, you know, you, you just kind of throw something on, whatever the legally required amount of buttons or buttons or snaps or zips, which, which is it one, which is and then, one. And button. then you're in the street, you're in the wind. And yeah. that's, that's how people walk around here. See, a,
2: I was there in the dead of winter. So everyone sure, has like layers upon layers. So this, sure. like, easy breezy look. Not something I experienced. I mean, I've been to France in the summer and it is shocking how many people just, they do not care. They'll do what they want. Hey, listen. I went to
1: uh, this is a little story, uh, 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 you know, because I had uh, my the neighborhood I live in is right near a very large military base that has a lot of uh, uh, NATO officers from around the world, and my neighborhood is very popular with French naval officers. Okay, so me and my wife got invited to a French dinner party. This is last weekend. Okay. We were the only American couple there, and you know, style-wise, you know, it was obvious (laughs) that we were the only American couple there. You know, these are these are French naval officers, you know, diplomats. You know, I will say this: the I left the party at around midnight, and it was literally just getting started. Mm -hmm. I heard from other neighbors; it went till four thirty, and that wasn't even that late for them. It's a different culture, and I, I. you know they had children bringing us food out throughout the <laughs> evening, just course after course. I didn't even get to the main course. I was assuming that was around one thirty, two o'clock. I was very impressed by their culture, their dress, everything. Now I'll say this: I could barely communicate with anyone at this party. <laughs> they could have all been making fun of me, and I could have just been there, a sort of some sort of court gesture function. But it was it was a delightful time, Tyler. I'm very jealous for you. I'm, for I'm your excited experience about so. it.
0: It's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun time here. And and I would agree. I would. The, so far the the. Friends that i've made in france there is just a little more of a of a we will we will stop partying when it's time to stop partying and yeah. that time so far i have been the one to tap out of every social engagement that i've been involved in in the week since i've been here and uh and I, I feel like in america i can go like i can hang to a pretty reasonable hour oh yeah and then we this, all, this then, we all you know, then we all you know then we all get together. here yeah. here i'm just like well au revoir everybody I'm going home because I am they were
1: jumping in the swimming pool at
2: midnight when I was leaving
1: like it was just getting to that point they do party
0: like because
2: when I was there um, you know I would get off work around like six and then I would go into Paris go do something and people would be out till I mean I would go back home around midnight because I had to work the next day and I assumed everyone else did but I think they're just used to staying out all night and then just going straight from the party to work or something. Cause yeah. it would be like 1230. Yeah. And I was like, this is not slowing down anytime soon. I have got to get my eight hours. Otherwise I'm going to be useless at work. It, it, I will say this. The main challenge
1: I had at this dinner party was just, you know, we just the rat tat, sort of milling around and, and kind of making conversation with, with the, you oh, know, sure. the, the gentleman who did speak English there, you know, usually my go-to is sports, right? But, you know, when I suggested that we talk about that, they wanted to talk handball, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of outside my frame of reference. I don't even know if I could identify a handball game going on, you know? And then so we start, and then they, they suggest, why don't we talk about their other favorite topic, sailing. <laughs> Once again. And again, not something I'm super knowledgeable about. So, we ended up talking about the new Top Gun, which I kind of feel like has become a universal language right now. It's, it's just very it's about Oh, big really? here. Yeah, there's like Cruise a lot was. of posters
0: which is interesting because it's it's an extremely american movie like it is a very it is loudly and proudly oh yeah us but but everybody people can't get enough of it here in paris they're they're all over it
1: well well i'll say well here's what i've learned and and again like my experience with the french is limited to these you know this community yeah. of naval officers uh, they love america like and their party was was uh, a, like a luau theme. Their previous party was roaring twenties theme. Like they love like I got and all of the naval, all of the the, the like men, they have they drive Ford Mustangs. Yeah. All of them. The first Our thing they do here is they go to the car lot and buy a Ford mm-hmm. Mustang. But but they were like, hey, in France a Ford Mustang. They're like every kid wants a Ford Mustang. We're here. It's like, yeah, Good. you know, yeah, <laughs> you see, <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that they're not that hard <laughs> exactly, to come by. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, they seem to really love it. And, and Tom and and Top Gun seems sort of the, this like just pinnacle of yeah. American culture yeah. that and we get I feel get like to I'm, export, I really so. ruined
0: the vibe because you get this idea watching Top Gun of what Americans are like. And then here comes Tyler with his with, breezy shirt, mm-hmm. no mustache. You know, and I don't, don't even know. Need... I I don't know how to fly. it. <laughs> no I don't know mustache. How to fly fly. I I have um... I've never it. You you're wearing a shirt for one. You're wearing a shirt. You, you're not carrying around a volleyball. Yeah. Well, despite the slim cast uh, this morning and and our
1: <laughs> You're not singing Great Balls of Fire, just wandering the street cafes, That was, by the way, of all the many realistic things yeah.
0: about that movie, the fact that you could get a bunch of millennials around a piano and an open bar and everybody could sing along. It's like karaoke. Like one guy sits down. If I were to sit down, at a little be at a cozy little beachside bar and they rolled out the piano. And even yeah. if I did know, and I don't, but even if I could just play Great Balls of Fire on the piano, people like, would look at doing? you like like they would throw me out like they threw Tom Cruise out. They're like, we don't know what we don't this song is a hundred years yeah. old. We're not gonna sing this song. It was old when the first Top Gun yeah. came out and they referenced it.
1: It, yeah it was <laughs> unbelievable when goose did it much less having yeah. his son a generation later do it like get him out of here and who the entire are these guys like, you know
0: goodness, uh, goodness gracious that's that not, would be the only part I, I, I don't knew i don't, don't mind it i like that one line
2: like everyone else was singing along to it
0: yeah, and um, yeah. goodness gracious exactly. balls. Yeah, that's, that's how, how I, that scene should have gone yeah yeah, yeah, it's very... I'm very not knocking the movie. I did like <laughs> yeah. it. But there were there were a couple parts, including the part at the end where Jennifer Connelly, the small-town bar owner, shows up and for some reason like an Aston Martin, and which she apparently just owned yeah. the entire time despite slumming it on Tom Cruise's motorcycle, for the entire movie until at the end you realize, oh, this woman is generational wealth. She's running a bar because she wants to, not because she has to. What
1: was it? It, the, the, there was a lot of unrealistic things, but I just like how they kind of leaned into it, even down to the beach football scene, which I don't know if you've paid close enough attention because I, I rewatched the the first Top Gun the evening before I went to go see to the brush new one, on just the to get, yeah. get in the headspace, you know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you realize how many times they just run back danger, highway (laughs) to the danger zone and the Top Gun thing. Each play like at four different points in the movie and that gong, (laughs) they just fired up randomly in random scenes. They
2: spent a lot of money on that song. They had to get good use out of it. I'm sure. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just about every 15 minutes it plays (laughs) in the original. But what I love about this one is like they're so detached from even attempting reality is like the first one they played an Extended scene of dialogueless beach volleyball that served no purpose to the plot. It was just get the guys out there and let them play some shirtless volleyball for some reason in jeans. Okay, <laughs> like they're they're sweating they're sweating profusely throughout the movie. Okay, and, and the jeans aren't helping the situation. But in this one, they play a version of football. They they call it dogfight football, and I do not like. I'm a pretty. I coach my son's little league football team. Right, like I feel pretty well acquainted with the rules of football. They have both offenses going at the same time. They have two footballs in play in this game. They've invented a new type of football that makes zero sense. And there's zero there's zero effort to explain it. And I just love that. Like, let's not even it's explain dumb, it. But Tom know?
0: Cruise does try to explain it because angry old John Hamm shows up. And he's like, what is it? Why, why isn't everybody training for the mission? And Tom Cruise is like, I'm, I'm building the team here. <laughs> you got to let me, you know, you have to let Tom Cruise do his thing. This is how he builds a team. But but they don't explain and what would it be important to know you can't build a team with, like this, this uh, like American, real American Patriot style game where nobody even knows what the rules are, and by all by all appearances, they were really just maybe frolicking in the surf. And <laughs> I was gonna say, it. I, I, they, there seemed to be an
1: intensity about what they're doing, but no real strategy. Here's just, the they're thing. just kind of running around, high fiving. That scene yeah.
2: was in there so that they could get women to come to the yeah. movie. Because sure. I'll be honest, a lot of my friends. Girlfriends. That's all they talked about was that one like three minute scene. They couldn't tell you anything yeah. else. Mission
0: accomplished. You did. And yeah. it, I mean, it worked. I they used it the, in the marketing a lot,
2: and it worked for them.
0: They listen, have like four hundred million
2: dollars for the next one. Why
1: don't we just just go all in on the unreal? Just have them fly <laughs> fighter jets without shirts on. <laughs> right. like, at this point, who would complain? Who'd Top be like, down, okay, I'm sure on the plane, yeah, yeah. yeah, hair yeah convertible, in the wind. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like no one's gonna complain. Everyone's just like, okay, sure, why it's not? We've it's come this Literally far, know what you know. To top Gun, yeah. It, they could be playing. Fo- they could be playing football in the fighter jets. What, you know what I mean? Like, and I'd be like, okay, sure, Well, I'm in. Let's this watch. This is getting like yeah. Fast
2: and Furious meets Top Gun now. Which should happen, yeah. Just yeah. It,
1: but 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 all but I feel like well, I don't. know. Do you guys ever watch the? I think we've talked about before the Netflix show Outer Banks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are, are you know, familiar with this franchise? It, it's sort of like <laughs> Dawson's Creek meets the Hardy Boys, I think. is That's that, a, is that that's a good way. Oh? Yeah. So okay, so it's like a teen drama set in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. But it's suddenly like... Devolves into this weird treasure hunt, and the plot gets more and more implausible. To you know, like that, but they but the second season, it is just bonkers. Like it, it almost becomes like a comedy. Like the 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 like they circumnavigate a large portion of the Atlantic Ocean effortlessly in like a twelve foot fishing boat. <laughs> yeah. Like just, do they just <laughs> and have it's a like skill? sixteen
2: gonna... year olds. Like they are yeah. like escaping um, the police easily, both in America and like the Bahamas or something. Something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah they, they have the ability to circumnavigate large portions of the Atlantic Ocean in skiffs, and it's not even a thing. It's just like they're they're at sea, untold nights, and it just plays over with, like in a montage while yeah. like the you know a third setting. eye blind song yes. plays. You know, um, but it, but it is a franchise that has just been like, you know what, we don't care about if if time travel got involved next season, it would not be shocking <laughs> to me. You know, and I feel like Top Gun just needs to go that route. Like, just throw out plausibility and let's just have a little fun
2: i think a lot of shows do that like i tried my best to keep up with riverdale and it just Can't be done. i'll see clips every now and then because people are like here's what you miss and it's like i think half of them are magical now mm-hmm. or have like some sort of yep. superpower yeah, and it's like this is based on the archie comics like this is we have just
0: really out, kind of a teen soap opera <laughs> and now it's become full on yeah like, True Detective meets the just, Avengers.
2: It really media. is like anybody has an idea, let's uh-huh. go with it and just figure out a way it, to get there.
1: It, it's it's like when like a, a, an otherwise plausible sitcom like back in like the TGIF era was like, "Hey, we're out of ideas." one of the characters is gonna have to build a robot <laughs> like we're gonna have a robot episode we're gonna have wet one episode where for some reason they go back to the medieval times and we're gonna do a whole you know I mean? shrinks like, like, down okay, like we... an
0: inch tall and has to find a way yeah they would. Just, yeah, it, just it, happen it's
1: sometimes. like this is an otherwise this was an otherwise plausible family situational comedy that was spun off from die hard now all of a sudden you know is like the main character is you know changing the molecules of the body it's pretty preposterous well
0: Despite what uh, what the, what you might think, based on the opening. Based on the opening banter and the, the slightly pared down cast and our missing host, we do have a really great show for you today that I am very excited about. Oh, this is going to be fun. We got Rich Velotas here to, with us today. He's a pastor of New Life Church and he's the author of his new book, Good and Beautiful Kind. Our own Emily Brown talked to him. Can't wait to share some of those thoughts with him. I'm a big fan of uh, the deeply formed life and I'm looking forward to this new book as well. And if you stay tuned, up next, we've got The Relevant Buzz. You're listening to American Teenager by Ethel Kane. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in.
2: Amazing. Did not disappoint.
0: Flurry of emotions. It was
1: powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting.
2: You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen Season 4.
0: Episodes 1 through 3 of The Chosen Season 4 are in theaters till February 14th, so visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. All right, it's time for... Relevant Buzz. Please welcome me to the show. I'm actually going to share the relevant buzz. I was planning on doing this anyway, and then we didn't have a host, so I'm doing double duty do. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of the things where I slip out of like one window, change my hat, and come back as a relevant buzz guy. Could you but, do a uh, French oh, so accent trying- while you do this? <laughs> no, I will not do a French accent. I feel like there'd be no faster way to getting my visa just canceled. Macron himself would personally tie me up and put me on a. I'd be down there at the bottom of the ocean with Cameron. No, I won't be doing. I won't be doing a French accent on this one. But I will be talking about the latest at the intersection of faith and culture. Got a couple stories. This first story, I was kind of surprised, and I don't know if Emily, I know you saw this because we talked about it a little bit. Uh, But this is something that had sort of eluded my attention until I saw the study from a place called the Journal of Contemporary Ministry, uh, which noted that there has been over the last twenty years a really sharp and uh, and sort of troubling decline. In women worship songwriters, uh, they found that women worship songwriters are uh, very underrepresented in the genre, are actually going, have gotten even lower since the 90s. Now, the last time that a woman, a woman written worship song, was the top most popular worship song in the US was in 1994. That was I Love You, Lord, by Lori Klein. When this study happened, or the most recent data we have is from 2018, when just 4% of songs on the Christian Copyright Licensing International, which keeps track of these things, just 4% of songs on the top 25 were written by women. Uh, In contrast, just for example, uh, on the Billboard charts, uh, about 11.5% of songs on the Billboard charts are written by women that same year. Um, so this, I, I don't, when we posted this on the, we, we, wrote about this on relevantmagazine.com. We posted the slice online. I think some people were a little like, well, that that's just kind of how the cookie crunch, you know, like, this is just like, what are you going to do about it? But like, and I, I don't think they saw much of a, like, there was nothing sinister about it. And I don't think there are people deliberately trying to kick women out of, you know, worship writing sessions or anything like that. But this study did note that the lack of women representation has coincided with the rise of collaborative songwriting that you see in places like Hillsong, places like Bethel, uh these places where they get a lot of people together to work on a song at the same time, and those groups oftentimes d- decide not to, not deliberately, I don't think, but they just don't include women. It becomes kind of a boys club. And uh Emily, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the hot seat or anything like this, but I'm wondering as somebody who attends church and sings a lot of worship songs and now with Relevant has interviewed a lot of worship artists, if this is anything that you've noticed or that if you remember feeling like there was maybe more representation of women in praise and worship music when you were younger than you do now?
2: Um if anything I actually I feel like there was I feel like there's more women now, which is why. But I think there might be more singers now. I don't know if they're necessarily the songwriters. Um, Bigger sample pool. Yeah. And so, um, because I remember a lot of like male worship leaders when I was younger. And I think there's slightly more now. But even then, I think it is. I feel like I could name all of like the big female worship leaders. I don't know if I could name all the big male worship leaders. Um, There's so many of them. So, exactly. And, you know, even when you think about like Bethel or Maverick City, there's a handful of women and you know them, but there's a lot of other men in those groups that you may just not know their name, but they are part of the group. Um, and again, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think they're trying to keep women out. I think that's just, it might just be the way it the cookie crumbled. Um but this this study was really interesting because, you know, I think about all the female worship leaders that I know, but again, they're part of these bigger group. with really the exception of maybe like Lauren Daigle. She's the only one I can really think of that's on her own. A lot of them are part of these big worship collectives in some way. And so, I don't know, it is very, in, this study was very interesting to me. I thought it was, I thought it was a little surprising, personally.
0: Just for a little bit of context here, the uh, when we say decline, here's what we mean. In 1988, 30% of songs on the CCLI top 25 were written by women, and women were part of 13% of collaborative efforts in that top 25. Uh, so that, and then that dropped, like I said earlier, to 4% in 2018. So 30% in 88 to 4% in 2018. That's a really, really sharp drop. And 3% was at one point, I would say probably, I, I don't have the data on what. The top 25, like in the billboard pop or rock charts were like, but I would, I would be surprised if 30% wasn't, uh, pretty competitive, if not higher than it would have, than it would have been in those charts. So the decline is pretty striking and, uh, and, uh, but definitely, definitely unmistakable. This wasn't a slight decline. It-
1: you know, I wonder how much too is just you, you know we, we're seeing everything that's happening, and I you know maybe this is too much of a stretch or you know not a fair connection, but you you look at you know everything happening at you know in the SBC right now and discussions about mm-hmm. women in leadership and gender roles and just like the lack of opportunities you know a lot of women have and in, in you know kind of different denominations and different ministry and you wonder how much of that kind of bleeds over into thinking in other areas whether it's you know. Kind of songwriting or teaching capacities, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to make a connection to to something where there's not, but it definitely seems like when it comes to you know, kind of gender equality within the church, th- there's a lot of work to be done.
0: It's hard to see how that because I don't think that that most, even very conservative, uh, you know, Southern Baptist churches would say that in theory they have a problem with women writing worship songs for for the church. I I don't think that would be a theological tenet of most of those churches, but it's very easy to see how when your leadership is almost, almost entirely, if not mostly male, uh, that that's just sort of a natural byproduct of something like that of some of these churches that are that are very very heavily male in their leadership. Not again because I think they're being deliberately trying to to push women out of any place of influence, but just because you invite your friends, you know, you invite your the the keep the bros on board. And you, when you think of who you want to call and who you want to invite to your singer-songwriter session and when you get in some of these collaborative groups, it, it's just not going to be the same if you don't have women at those tables making these types of decisions. And, and I think we're seeing some of the fallout of that. Now, of course, of course, there are some very significant exceptions, like you said, Emily, with people like Lauren and Brooke Ligertwood, Anna Golden, uh, Tasha Cobbs-Leonard. These are very, very influential, very popular women who do a, who've done a lot of work for worship, and I'm not trying to, I, I hope anybody, if they're listening to this because some of them are friends or if you know them, I'm not trying to say that they're not a big deal, I'm just saying that they are the exception and there used to be a lot more women like that in the 80s. And uh, we, this, study, this study really did not get into the reasons or causes of why that might be, but, uh, but it is interesting and hopefully, hopefully, uh, understanding that problem can be part of a change.
1: Yeah, well, e- either way, super interesting. And I think it's good to kind of highlight those sort of inequities to, to kind of think about the, the roots of them and how you'll be corrected. But anyway, what else you got, man?
0: All right. So the other story I want to bring to this time, and this is <laughs> this is not... I, I, Emily, I'm sure you're aware of what happened to Lizzo in the news this week. Jesse, are you on the Lizzo beat I am.
1: I am. I am. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I, I feel like it's hard not to... I started out to look, just feel better when Lizzo music comes on
0: yeah right she's so cool. positive sure yeah she's, positive. Yeah, she's yeah. positive yeah yeah she and this and this was this was a positive story uh that could have gone a lot of directions and ended up going I think a really positive one and I wanted to highlight it here so it, it started if you're paying been paying attention to the Lizzo beat uh you know that last Friday Lizzo dropped the second single off of her brand new album called special the song is called girls and in the song in the song lyrics it references and i don't want to say the word here uh but it's a but it is a word that is commonly associated with kind of uh in the in the the vernacular of kind of like or a little bit like that but is also part of a medical diagnosis uh, often associated with cerebral problem cerebral palsy Um, She dropped it in the song meaning uh, just kind of like being having fun and and partying and a lot of fans were very very upset and hurt and offended by the use of this word. Uh, One fan said this is just a a tweet uh, that's sort of indicative of the rest of the pushback That said hey Lizzo my disability cerebral palsy is literally defined as. Aspastic As diplegia, where spasticity refers to unending painful tightness in my legs. Your new song makes me pretty angry and sad. It doesn't mean freaked out or crazy, it's an ableist slur. It's 2022 do better. So this is the sort of thing, this stuff happens a lot, obviously, where a an entertainer, a singer, a movie star, somebody says something, they probably didn't necessarily mean for it to be offensive. They weren't trying to say something that would hurt people's feelings, but that's how it came across. And when something like that happens, there's a lot of options. Uh, Some people go right to the they get get very defensive and Lizzo could have gotten very, very defensive. You know, I didn't mean it that way or I didn't know that's what that word was. Or she could have gotten defiant. She could have told people like suck it up, you know, snowflakes. Uh, If you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. Uh, And she could have done and this is probably the most common one. Just kind of done that standard straightforward, non-apology apology apology, where you're like, I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt, screenshot the notes app and and call it good there. And that she did, which I think is a really, really good example of how to handle something like this. Uh, And I'm just going to read what she wrote and posted the social media in full. She said this, quote, It's been brought to my attention that there is a harmful word in my new song, Girls. Let me make one thing clear. I never want to promote derogatory language. As a fat black woman in America, I've had many hurtful words used against me, so I understand the power words can have, whether intentionally or, in my case, unintentionally. I'm proud to say there is a new version of Girls with a lyric change. This is the result of me listening and taking action. As an influential artist, I'm dedicated to being part of the change I've been waiting to see in the world, XOXO Lizzo. Um... We can break that apart a little bit, but Emily, I know, I know you saw this, and Jesse, maybe you're hearing about this now. Did this, did this strike you, Emily, when you saw this on the pop culture beat? Did this stand out to you in any special way?
2: Yeah, it uh, it did really, because I, you know, I think um, I feel like this has happened unfortunately a lot, where there are words that someone uses that they, you know, it's to them, it's just a normal word. They don't realize that there is this like negative connotation to them or to the word um and then someone calls them out for it and i feel like a lot of times artists either it just double down and say oh i didn't mean it that way i'm sorry if that hurt you or they just ignore it and are like well the song's out there what can i do and so this was really i really can't think of any other time where an artist has this quickly turned around a new song and um Change the lyric. You know, there's been times where you know maybe after there's a very <laughs> it's actually a very famous Taylor Swift song. She said a word in it that I won't say, but she did end up changing it years later. Um, and that was just because at the time it wasn't a bad word. Since it's gone on, it's a bad word. Anyways, um, sure, but. So, I mean, this was like three day turnaround that this she This was like a weekend. Yeah. She like got turnaround, in the studio, yeah, yeah. <laughs> recorded a new version. And um, no, it, it did stand out to me because I think Lizzo, she is someone that a lot of people look up to. That she um, like she even said, you know, she is a flat fat black woman in America. She understands what it's like to have words thrown at you that, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are very hurtful. And so I think she has built a platform where she wants to be kind of a safe person and an inclusive person. And she doesn't want anybody to feel like they can't listen to her music or that they are hurt listening to the music. Even as we're saying like Lizzo, you listen to Lizzo, you feel good about yourself. You feel excited about life. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fact that there were people that did not feel that way, she took that very personally. Um, and I want to commend her for doing that. Cause I, again, I really can't think of many artists who Have responded with so much like humility, um, and genuine, like had a genuine apology and more than just apologize, actually took action to correct their wrongs and try to show, like, you know, you can't just say you're sorry. You, if you really are sorry, you, you might need to back it up with some actions. Um, which I, to be honest, I don't think many artists do. They might apologize and then they still (laughs) sing the song with the derogatory words in it.
1: but but the, the the other thing too is like you know I, I think it's refreshing on a couple aspects not just the humility and and sort of like someone who's like hey listen this is something i was just kind of ignorant of not because i'm ignorant but because i just wasn't aware of the connotation mm-hmm. of this word and it's you know that sort of like immediate humility but also like not being so precious about their quote unquote art where you Mm. see a lot of artists will, and it's not just songwriters. It could be someone who's written something. It could be a filmmaker who's done something in their work that upon reflection, you know, seems seems offensive. But because they hold their, you know, like I said, kind of quote unquote art in such esteem, they refuse to make any changes, but it's not really making any sort of creative compromising. It's just kind of learning as a as a person that maybe maybe if the way I'm expressing myself, if it's, you know, having an unintended consequences, there's nothing wrong with revisiting that. It's not making some sort of artistic compromise. It's just making it just being a good human, you know.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's a big part of it too, is I think a lot of times out there apologizing is like a strength. Like I'm sticking by my guns. I'm being defiant. I'm I'm not gonna bow down to the cancel culture or to the the PC police or whatever you want to call it. And I understand that there are maybe times where you're like, you know, you want to stand by your principles. And I think that's that's one thing and that's very commendable and people do that. But this isn't a case of standing by your principles. This is People having very justified hurt feelings and a group of people who a lot of times there's not a lot of consideration giving to the disabled community obviously doesn't have uh, a lot A lot of times their voices are, are pushed to the side or are marginalized or sort of oppressed or are considered sort of. Uh, not as important maybe as other people's. And for her to take that seriously, especially by equating it to her own experiences because of her own identity, shows is that I, I don't think deep love and understanding that I think, I hope people are willing to really, really do think there's a regret just apologizing mm-hmm. if people are mad at you. You know, I don't think you're, you know, if you didn't do, if you really feel like they're mad at you for you doing the right thing, for, for having courage and, and on a moral issue, that's one thing. But uh, something like this, you know, saying sorry goes a long ways. And I think that's sometimes some of the one of the untested ways to take take out cancel culture is saying you are sorry and saying you won't won't happen again. You'll make it right. And she did that. And it seemed to me, as far as I could tell, that people were very receptive to her apology. Yeah, I I think uh, that that everyone was like, hey, thanks.
1: I, I think, you know, humility is a great anecdote for outrage. You know what I mean? Like when you see someone generally uh-huh. expressing contrition, you know, it, it it is hard to stay, you know, kind of kind of angry. It, it seems like, hey, maybe the intended outcome of of kind of expressing anger at somebody, you know, using a word or saying something, you know, hopefully it's it's to enact positive change so yeah, yeah.
0: positive Lizzo. story <laughs> well we've covered both of those stories and a lot more over relevant relevantmagazine.com. head over there every day to see all the updates that we're making to the site and uh, check back next week for more of the relevant buzz thank you tyler for all you do merci tyler <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned up next rich Viodes joins us You're listening to Bones by Soccer Mommy. Well, Relevant has a lot happening this year and we don't want you to miss a thing. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com and we'll send you our top five trending stories into your inbox every weekday. We'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes, some uh, fan extras, and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. Well, our guest today is Rich Velotis. He's the pastor of New Life Fellowship in New York and the author of The Deeply Formed Life. His new book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, offers a way to piece together our fractured lives and world. Rich sat down with our own downtown Emily Brown to discuss practical ways to achieve wholeness and why it's important to embrace peace and conflict simultaneously. Here is our conversation with Rich Velotis.
2: Well, I'm really excited to talk with you about your new book. Uh, where did the idea for this book come from or where did it originate from?
3: In terms of the content of the book, because uh, I, I write often, I think my previous book, The Deeply Formed Life, came out of pastoral urgency. So I like to think some people write out of you know pain, purpose, uh, I write out of pastoral urgency. Uh, uh, I think of Eugene Peterson often uh, when he translated or paraphrased the message. Uh, it didn't begin with a massive project to trans you know translate the entire Bible. It began with a Bible study in his church, and he wanted to help his people. Understand the Book of Galatians in very accessible terms, uh, and then from that point on, it grew on to a larger project. But it began for him with pastoral urgency, and for me, the same. As I think about the past couple of years, the the level of disorientation, the level of polarization and pain. Uh, I've, you know, I've said that we live in this kind of CPR world, a world that's marked by COVID, political idolatry and racial hostility, where it's hard to breathe. Our hearts are ailing. Uh, It's a world that's tearing itself apart. And as a pastor, I've seen some of that happening within the congregation I lead. And so I've tried to offer words primarily for the people that God has entrusted to me, to shepherd, uh, but knowing that um, the, the fractures of our society are not just within my local congregation, but uh, increasingly everywhere. Uh, and so that it came out of that. The title, however, came out of a Langston Hughes poem. Uh, Langston Hughes uh, wrote a poem called Tired. Uh, it's one of my favorite poems from Hughes. And it very simply, he says, I am uh, tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind? Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And so uh, I remember reading it. I've, I've been reading it for many years. And as I was thinking about a title for this book, I kept coming back to that poem. And those words, good and beautiful and kind, I thought, yeah, I think the world is longing for some goodness and some beauty and some kindness. Now the question is, how do we live into that reality? But that's essentially the genesis of uh, the second book.
2: Yeah, I really love that poem. Uh, well, you're talking about how you want believers to experience wholeness. So what do you mean by that? Or what does that look like practically?
3: Yeah, you know, when Jesus talks about um you know, uh, following uh, the great commandment, what does it mean to be in relationship with God and neighbor? Uh, I think wholeness for Jesus is about love. Uh, And so we often think about wholeness, meaning every wound that we've experienced is healed. Every trauma that we've engaged has uh, uh, somehow been tended to, and we don't have any issues anymore. And I think we're moving towards a path of wholeness when those things are happening. Uh, But I'm framing wholeness more so as how do we love well? Uh, And Jesus, when he talks about love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, what he gives is a whole picture of the human person, heart, soul, mind, body, you know, strength and loving neighbor as ourselves. And so wholeness, I believe, and this is the countercultural message of the gospel, I believe that our wholeness is not going to come simply by uh, greater um, self-examination self-actualization it's not simply going to come by looking inward although i'm a big proponent for looking inward a uh, wholeness is ultimately going to come as we learn how to love well and our society is going to become whole as we learn how to love well uh, and which which means that if we love well there's something that's happening on the inside of us uh, that's moving us more t- towards wholeness so at 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 the core of it, I think wholeness is the process, uh, ongoing journey of loving well um, in the power of the spirit in the name of Jesus.
2: what are maybe some practical ways to love well? Because I think people may have some different ideas on what that looks like. So I'd love to hear just practically, how do we love one another well?
3: Yeah, when, when I, um, in the book, I write about uh, the forces that are behind the fractures of our society. Uh, and uh, I write about sin, powers, and principalities. And because of these two realities, the traumatized world we live in. And so how do we have language for trauma and such? Um, uh, but loving well, I believe begins uh, in prayer. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus. I think that is the counter instinctual way of love, but it's a kind of prayer that orients us towards love. Uh, it's very easy for prayer to try to anesthetize me from the problems of the world to distract me from the problems of the world or to experience uh, to have some kind of emotional catharsis where I pray and I feel better about myself emotionally and then I move on with my day we see that happening every time there's mass shootings which is why it's interesting whenever there's a mass shooting in the United States uh, ironically you know the first words that comes out of people's mouths are often prayers or thoughts, you know? Uh, but I think prayer in the way of Jesus is to move us towards love because it is in that place in contemplative prayer in particular, it's the kind of prayer in which we are sharing presence with God, opening ourselves up to God, uh, in silence, uh, in reflection. And, um, studies have shown that there is, uh, uh, neurological shifts, Uh, just in our brains as we open ourselves up to this kind of contemplative space, contemplative prayer, silence, and uh, the ways that it impacts our emotions, the ways that it impacts our capacity to be present. You
2: mentioned how in the end you discuss pursuing justice. Um, And one thing that I really appreciate about you is that you don't shy away from these like quote unquote divisive topics, even if I'm sure there's other people who may suggest you avoid them. Um, but you do a really great job, I think, of taking these complex ideas and putting them into really easy to understand ways. So I would love to know why do you feel like it's important to speak out on topics, even if they're divisive or especially if they're divisive?
3: I think I think part of it comes down to my own story, um, uh, and uh, I grew up in the neighborhood in Brooklyn, which was uh, historically in the 80s and 90s. It was called East New York. Uh, it was uh, one of the most um, impoverished uh, areas in New York City, uh, a place with lots of violence, uh, drug. I mean, uh, low support from the government. Um, and so uh, I saw it was overlooked in many ways The neighborhood I grew up in And so I think personally I've seen the impact Of uh, not being treated with the kind of care I've seen it in family members I've seen it in friends And so I think part part of me Thankfully the family I grew up in um, my immediate family and my extended family, we had about 25 family members in, within a two block radius. Because of the level of connection that we had, I think my story ended up a bit different than a lot of people in my neighborhood. Uh, but I think part of that begins with my own story and um, the particular vulnerabilities that I have experienced and have seen growing up in, in, in that area of Brooklyn. Uh, beyond that, however, I, I really take the words of Jesus seriously. Uh, when he, you know, when he begins his first sermon in the Gospel of Luke chapter four and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I mean, I don't see that as kind of like the allegorical poor, the metaphorical poor, the spiritualized poor. Uh, Jesus came uh, to move towards, to preach for and on behalf of the people who the world has uh, overlooked Uh, has marginalized. Uh, and so I I see in the words of Jesus, you know, in Matthew 25, when he looks out and he's about to offer judgment to the world and say, you know, when you visited me in prison, when you gave me a drink and they go, Where I? I never said if I saw you, I would have given you a drink, Jesus. And they say, When you've done these for the least of these, you've done it to me. I think there's so many passages in the New Testament and Jesus, because he's in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets of the Old Testament, uh, speaks a lot about. Justice and um, love in public, which is what justice is, according to Cornell West, which I love. It's what love looks like in public. And so I I think my own story, plus the words of Jesus. And then lastly, as a pastor, I happen to pastor uh, an area in Queens, which is the the poorest area in central Queens. And so I am in close proximity to um, people who have um, not been treated with the kind of dignity, uh, that God desires them to have, uh, have not been seen, you know, 50% of Queens is foreign born. And so a massive immigrant population, um, that has not been seen for the beauty of the people that they are. And so I think because of my pastoral work, because of the words of Jesus, because of my own story, um, I am gonna, I, I cannot help But to raise my voice and try to address some of the issues in our society that I think Jesus is concerned about deeply.
0: That was Rich Velotis. Stick around for your feedback from our editorial question of the week. You're listening to Angelica. That's by wet leg. All right. I wasn't on the last uh, when we asked the question of the week, but I do. I think I know what it was about based on the context clues here. Uh, I I remember that you were celebrating a birthday. Emily. Yes, we
2: were celebrating my birthday. But according to Cameron, a little bit
0: upset. Well, no, I
2: was fine. You weren't
0: celebrating it. You were mourning your birthday. I remember.
2: I was slight, I was, it was a bittersweet one because I was excited and yet certain people who are now lost at sea uh-huh. sure, kept sure, saying sure. that my youth was over uh-huh. and that I was just on yeah. like a sharp, sharp downhill run towards death, basically. Um, so uh-huh. I yeah, think to counteract so- or maybe slow down this, Inevitable Dune. Just uh, beginning. We asked for some advice <laughs> to how I can make the most yeah. of this. According to Cameron, my final chapter of life. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> the extended chapter. So you're tapping the brakes on your quick yeah. decline into the grave, and, and this is exactly. how you're going to do it. All right. So we asked. So so we asked. You answered. What advice would you give to Emily to make the most of this next chapter of life? Uh, you responded to us on Twitter and social media. Here's what you had to say to us, but really to Emily.
1: The- yeah. Most of this advice is terrible, and I think accomplishes the opposite. <laughs> you, you know, the key is staying young is yeah. to never give in. Like yeah. I'm seeing a lot of yeah. stuff like stretch more. No, as soon as you start stretching, <laughs> you, you become an old person who likes to stretch. Okay, this someone said, you know, wear <laughs> yeah. socks and sandals, lean into comfort. No, that is throwing in the towel. Emily, I'm saying my advice is don't take any of this advice. Live like you always <laughs> have.
2: I will say the one that was most intriguing to me was someone suggested go to as many farmers markets as possible again these are trying to age you these are these are attempting to do the
0: opposite (laughs) these are ending your youth even quicker this is good this is good ashley christophson says keep playing Find hobbies that take mind off your cares and keep you off your phone. There is so much good to being childlike, and I'm pretty sure it lowers your blood pressure. All right, blood pressure issues aside, definitely true <laughs> that Like finding new hobbies. They've lost pressure. To, like, find pressure. They lost me blood pressure.
1: Stick to the same hobbies you did when you were a kid, okay? <laughs> And don't worry about blood pressure. Only old people worry about blood pressure. This is terrible advice. Like once like, get eight hours of sleep at night. Sorry, grandpa. No, some nights you want to stay up. For, you don't want to watch TV all night and goof around with your friends. Just do it. Don't worry about it. That's my advice. Emily live like you're 17 again. Okay. This is a mind over matter situation. Once you start making these concessions, there's no turning back. You're going to be an old person. Oh. These are all terrible all right. advice, all right. listeners. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay, we'll shut it down, then. We'll shut it down. No, don't read. don't even look at these anymore. <laughs> don't even read anymore. Turn X out of the screen. Don't, I don't want you to... I don't want to... We're already playing with fire, as it is. All right. Instead, instead, it's time for next week's...
2: Editorial
0: Question of the Week. It's- Okay, well, early in the show, we were talking about Top Gun 2 Maverick, and we noticed how un- implausible it is that Rooster would be able to sit down in a bar and play Great Balls of Fire uh, with with all of his friends joining in. But this can be fixed. Top Gun 3 is definitely in the works, and we want to know what you would replace Great Balls of Fire. if you were going if you were Rooster or if you're gonna be Rooster Jr., whoever is in the third one, and you would get to have your own theme song, but you gotta get everybody in the play, everybody in the establishment to have to start rocking along with you. What song is the one that you think would absolutely get the whole crowd pumped up and excited? You can't choose great balls of fire. Ideally it'd be something that was written within this century. What's the song gonna be for Top Gun 3? rooster or whatever they end up calling it. You can give us your answer at relevant on Twitter and we will read some of our favorites next week. And with that, we'll wrap up this slender episode, strange episode, but I think we did. Okay. I think that, I mean, we need to get I back to trying to find Cameron. We, we, yeah,
1: but I think we, we pulled got it. through yeah. this episode <laughs> was the podcasting equivalent of dogfight football. Just, just going <laughs> at it from all directions and see what happens. You know, there's really just no strategy. on just on running frolicking is what happened. <laughs> Um, This is the dogfight football edition. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks again to Rich Velotas for joining us today. You can pre-order Good and Beautiful and Kind today. Uh, If you aren't already, Hey, sign up for Relevant Plus, a subscription for access to tons of exclusive features, extra podcasts, ad-free content, and so much more. It's a great deal. We've been working hard on it, so make sure you sign up for that. Also, if you haven't checked out our store in a while, maybe you should head on over there and see some of the new merch we've rolled out. We work hard on that merch. Uh, see what you think of it. We'd love to see that see you rocking some of our new merch. Also, check out our website, of course, to see all the great new content that we do every day over there covering faith, life, Culture, and Justice. And with that note, I'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. And I'm Emily Brown. We'll see you next time. Have a great week, everyone.
3: Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast.
1: And don't worry about blood pressure. Only old people worry about blood pressure.
3: Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either
0: Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.